Welcome back to the Legends Audio Archive and our production of Star Wars Splinter of the Mind's Eye by Alan Dean Foster. Please like, share, and subscribe if you enjoy listening. Chapter 2 Leia Organa made another half-hearted try at adjusting her rain-slicked hair, then gave up in disgust and peered out at the lush growth surrounding her. After losing all contact with Luke, she'd managed to land hard in this wet hell. She took some measure of comfort in knowing that if Luke had also survived setdown, he'd try to reach her. After all, his job was to see that she arrived safely at Sir Carpus IV. Angrily, she mused that now she was going to be rather more than slightly late for the conference. A quick examination had indicated that she would no longer have to worry about the malfunctioning port engine, which was now a crumpled oblong metal shape incapable of propelling itself or anything else across so much as a light second. The rest of the Y-Wing was in little better shape. She considered looking for Luke, but it made more sense for one of them to wait for the arrival of the other, and she knew Luke would come for her as soon as he was ready. Pardon me, Princess, said the metal form behind her. But do you think R2 and Master Luke set down safely in this awful place? Of course they did. Luke's the best pilot we've got. If I made it down, I'm certain he had no trouble. That was a slight lie. What if Luke was lying injured somewhere, unable to move, and she simply sat here awaiting him? Better not to think about that. The vision of a twisted, broken Luke, bleeding to death in the cockpit of his X-Wing, made her inside spin tightly. She slid back the roof of the cockpit once again, her nose wrinkling at the rankness of the dripping morass encircling them. Plenty of noise assailed her from hidden things moving stealthily through the undergrowth. Nothing larger than a couple of brightly-hued quasi-insects had shown themselves thus far, however. Her pistol rested comfortably on her lap. Not that she'd need it, secure as she was in the cockpit whose sliding roof panel she could throw back in place and lock in seconds. She was perfectly safe. 3PO felt otherwise. I don't like this place, Princess. I don't like it at all. Relax. There can't be anything out there. She nodded toward the densest growth. That would find you digestible. A shrill, hooting cry sounded like a sick trumpet close on her left. She jerked around sharply, sucking in a startled breath. But there was nothing there. Her face pressed close by the open port as she strove to penetrate the green-brown wall of vegetation with anxious eyes. When the noise did not recur, she forced herself to relax. Do you see anything, 3PO? No, Princess. Nothing larger than a few small arthropods, and I'm scanning with infrared also. That doesn't mean something large and inimical couldn't be out there. But you don't see anything? No. She was furious at herself. A simple noise had panicked her. Probably only the forlorn cry of some harmless herbivore, and she'd panicked like an infant. It would not happen again. She was angry because whatever had caused them to crash would certainly cause her to miss her scheduled arrival demonstration on Sir Carpus, possibly aggravating the government officials assigned to greet her. She was twice over angry at Luke, angry for not performing a navigational miracle and following her safely down without instruments or control, and angry most of all because he'd been right in insisting they ought not land here. Again the trumpeting sound. Whatever had produced it had not left after all. If anything, the sharp hooting sounded closer. This time her hand tightened around the pistol. Once more she examined the surrounding jungle, saw nothing. As she stared, she theorized. Suppose she had misinterpreted that landing beacon somehow. 
Suppose it was only the barest of automatic installations, and this world was devoid not only of mechanics, but of facilities for organic travelers as well. If Luke was dead, she'd be marooned here alone, without any idea of... There was a loud crashing, off to her right this time. Swinging around in the seat, she instinctively fired off a burst through the cracked port, and was rewarded with the odor of burnt, wet vegetable matter. The muzzle of the pistol remained focused on the carbonized spot. Hopefully, she'd hit the thing. Fortunately, she hadn't. It's me! A voice shouted, sounding more than a little shaky. She'd barely missed him. It's me and R2. R2-D2. 3PO clambered out of the cockpit, moved to greet his squat counterpart. R2, it's so good to- 3PO paused, then continued in a different tone. What do you think you're doing making me wait like this? When I think of the anguish you've caused me- Luke, are you alright? He began climbing up the damaged side of the fighter, sat down next to the open cockpit. Yes, I touched down behind you. I was afraid R2 and I might miss you. I was afraid you- She stopped, looked down, unable to meet his gaze. I- Apologize, Luke. I made a mistake in trying to land here. Luke also looked away, embarrassed. Nobody could have foreseen the atmospheric disturbance that forced us down, Leia. She looked into the jungle. I managed to plot the location of that homing beacon before my instruments went out completely. She pointed slightly behind them and to her left. It's back that way. Once we reach the station, we can locate whoever's in charge and arrange for passage off this world. If there's a station, Luke pointed out mildly, or anyone in charge of it. It occurred to me that it might be a fully automated station, she confessed. But I don't know what else we can do. <sighs> Agreed, said Luke with a slow sigh. We've got nothing to gain by sitting here. I used to believe in miracles. I don't anymore. We can get eaten just as quickly here as we can on the trail. The princess looked downcast. You've encountered carnivorous life then? No, hardly any life at all, actually. He went on with a slight grin. The only animal of any size I confronted took one look at me and ran off like a spooked bantha. He turned, moved to enter the cockpit. Let's get started while it's still light. I'll give you a hand making up a pack. Carefully, he lowered himself in next to her. As he unlatched her seat, he became conscious of the confined space they were working in. Awkwardly pressed up against him, the princess seemed to take no notice of their proximity. In the dampness, though, her body heat was near palpable to Luke, and he had to force himself to keep his attention on what he was doing. Raising herself from the cockpit, the princess stood on the nose of the fighter and reached down to him. Hand it up, Luke. He lifted the burgeoning pack. Too heavy? He asked as he handed it to her. She slid it onto her back, slipped both arms through the straps and adjusted the weight before tightening them. The burden of public office was a lot heavier. She shot back. Let's get moving. Briskly scrambling over the side, she let herself drop to the ground, planted her feet, took two steps in the direction of the distant beacon, and began to sink. Luke? 3PO? Take it easy, princess. Edging carefully over the same side, he walked out on the intact wing facing her. Luke! Already she was up to her knees in gray muck. If anything, she was beginning to sink faster. Trying to anchor himself with his left hand, Luke reached out with his right from the wing edge. Lean toward me. R2, you lock onto the ship. 3PO, give me your hand. She did as she was told, the motion generating squelching sounds from the bog. Her hand flailed for him, smacking the soft ground many centimeters from his. Rising, he scrambled back to the cockpit and retrieved his walking stick, then returned hurriedly to his prone position on the wing and extended it. Lean toward me, he urged her again. 
3PO, you and R2 hold tight or I'll go in with her. Don't worry, sir. 3PO assured him. R2 added a whistle. She was up to her waist now. On the first try, she missed the pole. The second time her fingers locked around it were joined by her other hand. Luke wrapped both hands around his end of the stick and sat up on the wing, leaning back. His feet slid and scraped on the smooth metal. R2, 3PO, pull! Having secured a firm grip on her, the Earth was reluctant to yield its prize. Every muscle in his body taut. Luke struggled to heave and to conjure the force simultaneously. He tried to put all of his weight behind his arms, behind his desperate pull. A tired sucking noise sounded and the princess lurched forward. Luke allowed his exhausted arms a brief respite and hyperventilated while he had the chance. You can play toy engine later, the princess admonished him. Pull now. Momentary anger gave him enough energy to pull her the rest of the way clear. Reaching down, he gave her a hand up, and then they were both sitting on the edge of the wing, covered from the ribs down in a packing of green-gray mud and pieces of what looked like dried straw. The princess appeared decidedly unregal. She pushed futilely at the mud, which was drying rapidly to the consistency of thin concrete. She said nothing, and Luke knew anything he might venture would not be terribly well received. Come on, he suggested simply. Taking up his walking stick, he moved to the backside of the wing. Leaning over, he probed at the ground, which displayed no inclination to eat his stick. But still he kept one hand on the wing edge when he stepped off. His feet sank, but only half a centimeter into the spongy loam. Yet the earth here looked no different from the quick clay that had almost taken the princess. She dropped down easily beside him, and soon they were traveling through intermittent patches of half-familiar vegetation. Branches and bushes blocked tired legs, and occasional thorns tore hopefully at them. But Luke's assumption that the ground beneath the taller growths was the firmest held true with gratifying consistency. Even the weighty droids didn't sink into the muck. From time to time as they hiked along, the princess would dab or push disgustedly at her lower body, which was now solidly caked with the gook she'd slid into. She remained unusually quiet. Luke couldn't tell whether her silence was due to a desire to conserve her strength or embarrassment at her present situation. He tended to think the former. To his knowledge, being embarrassed was not something she was subject to. Frequently they would pause, turn circles, and then match up pointer alignment on their track arms to ensure they were still marching toward the beacon site. Even if it is an automatic station, he remarked several days later in an effort to cheer her, somebody put it down here and so they have to maintain it, however infrequently. I saw some pretty big ruins near the place we set down. Perhaps natives are still living in them, or they might be empty, but the beacon could be for the use of a Xeno-archaeological research post. That's possible, she admitted brightly. Yes, that would also explain why the beacon's not listed. A small scientific outpost could be temporary. And recent, Luke added, excited by the plausibility of his own supposition. Just talking about such a possibility made him, made them both feel better. If that's the case, then even an automated station that's only used on occasion ought to contain an emergency shelter and survival provisions. Heck, there might even be a subspace planetary relay for contacting Sir Carpus IV when the scientific team is operating here. A cry for help would be a poor way for me to announce my presence. The princess observed, brushing at her dark hair. Not, she added quickly, that I'm going to be particular. I'll settle for arriving in a medical cocoon. They walked on in silence for a while before another question entered Luke's mind. I still wonder, Princess, what caused our instruments to go crazy? That enormous volume of rising free energy we passed through, 
bolts jumping from sky to ship and ship back to sky again. I've never seen anything like that before. Nor have I, sir, commented 3PO. I thought I might go mad. Neither have I, admitted the princess thoughtfully. And I've never read of a natural phenomenon like it. Several colonized gas giants have bigger storms, but never with so much color. And big thunderheads are always involved. We were above the thick cloud layer when it happened. Still, she hesitated. The whole thing seemed almost familiar somehow. R2 beeped his agreement. You'd think whoever established that homing beacon in this area would also have put a message in the transmission warning ships away from the danger. Yes, the princess agreed. Hard to imagine a scientific expedition, or any other kind, being that negligent. The omission, it's almost criminal. She shook her head slowly. That effect. I can almost remember something like it. A diffident smile. Then... My head's still full of the conference. It should be, Luke thought. Full of one thing only. Making it to that homing beacon and hoping there was more there than just a pile of machinery. What he said was... I understand, Princess. Not the Force, but a more ancient, more highly developed sense in man, half convinced him they were being watched. He found himself turning rapidly to scan the trees and mist behind them and at each side. Nothing looked back at him, but the feeling refused to go away. Once she spotted him peering hard at a dank copse. Nervous? It was part question, part challenge. You bet I'm nervous, he shot back. I'm nervous and frightened. And I wish to hell we were on Sir Carpus right now, anywhere on Sir Carpus, instead of trudging through this swamp on foot. Turning serious, the princess told him, One learns to accept whatever events life has in store with the best possible spirits. She stared straight ahead. That's just what I'm doing, Luke confessed. Accepting them in the best possible spirits, nervousness and fear. Well, you needn't look at me as if this is all my fault. Did I imply that? Did I say that? Luke countered, a touch more tightly than he intended. She glanced sharply at him and he cursed his inability to conceal his feelings. He would have been, he decided, a rotten card player, or politician. No, but you as much as- She began hotly. Princess. He interrupted softly. We still have a long way to go according to your plotted location. Just because something full of teeth and claws hasn't pounced on us from every tree doesn't mean such creatures don't thrive here. One thing we haven't got is time to fight between ourselves. Besides, Responsibility is a dead issue now. It's been superseded by survival. Survive we will, if the Force is with us. There was no reply. That in itself was encouraging. They trudged on, Luke stealing admiring glances at her when she wasn't looking. Disheveled and caked with mud from the waist down, she was still beautiful. He knew she was upset, not at him, but at the possibility they might miss the scheduled conference with the Circarpusian underground. There's no night so dark as a night filled with fog, and every night on Mimban was like that. They made a bed for themselves between the parted roots of a great tree. While the princess started a fire, Luke and the droids constructed a rain shelter by stretching the two survival capes between both massive roots. They huddled together for warmth and watched the night try to slip around the edges of the fire. It crackled reassuringly despite the mist as the night sounds chorused around them. They were no different from day sounds, but anything that wears the cloak of night, especially on an alien world, partakes of the night's mystery and terror. Don't worry, sir, said 3PO. R2 and I will keep watch. We don't require sleep, and there's nothing out there that can ingest us. 
Something sounding like a broken pipe gurgled stentorianly in the darkness, and 3PO started. R2 gave a derisive beep, and the two droids moved out into the darkness. Very funny. 3PO admonished his companion. I hope one of the local carnivores chokes on you and breaks every one of your external sensors. R2 whistled back, sounding unimpressed. The princess pressed close against Luke. He tried to comfort her without appearing anxious. But as the darkness closed to a Stygian blackness around them, and the night sounds turned to sepulchral moans and hootings, his arm instinctively went around her shoulders. She didn't object. It made him feel good to sit there like that, leaning against her and trying to ignore the damp ground beneath. Something called out with an abyssal shrillness, startling Luke from his sleep. Nothing moved beyond the dying fire. With his free hand, he tossed several shards of wood onto the embers, watched the fire blaze again. Then he happened to glance down at his companion's face. It was not the face of a princess and a senator, or of a leader of the Rebel Alliance, but instead that of a chilled child. Moistly parted in sleep, her lips seemed to beckon to him. He leaned closer, seeking refuge from the damp green and brown of the swamp in that hypnotic redness. He hesitated, pulled back. She was an aristocrat and rebel leader. For all he'd accomplished above Yavin, he was still only a pilot and before that, a farmer's nephew. Peasant and princess, he mused disgustedly. His assignment was to protect her. He wouldn't abuse that trust, no matter his own hopeless hopes. He would defend her against anything that leapt out of the darkness, crawled from the slime, dropped from the gnarled branches they walked under. He would do it out of respect and admiration, and possibly out of the most powerful of emotions, unrequited love. He would even defend her from himself, he determined tiredly. In five minutes he was fast asleep. Thank you for listening. A lot of work went into this production, so if you enjoyed it, please subscribe and share with your friends. If you would like to support the Legends Audio Archive on Subscribestar, Follow the link below, and only $6 a month will give you access to all our exclusive short stories and audio content unavailable anywhere else. Thanks again, and may the Force be with you, always.